Well, as the kids are stepping out this morning, and as uh, we enter into a time of uh, looking at God's Word, I want to remind the men in here that Man Down is coming up. It's an annual men's retreat, uh, and by God's grace, on the tenth, uh, on October 14th, I'm sorry, and 15th, uh, you have an opportunity to retreat with other men to go and be encouraged and edified. So I would encourage you, if you're interested in the Man Down Retreat, uh, sign up at PillarDC.com backslash men. All right? So Man Down's coming. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Well, uh, I was uh, watching some videos the other day of uh, some uh some guys who go around their college campus and ask uh, their fellow students some serious questions. And it usually only took about one or two questions for things to get pretty serious and intimate. And it was a, a, a conversation right off the cuff. And uh, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm not going to waste your time this morning. How are you doing today, friend? Really? I want you to think about that question. What would your answer be of how you are really doing if you and I got to go have coffee later this afternoon or lunch later in the week or I invited you over to dinner? How are you doing? Are you feeling aimless? underachieving, hungry for more of what life might have to offer you, or you're just lacking zeal and you want to taste life again? Well, those are questions we often have to ask ourselves in life. Those are examinations that we make and come to determination that something is awry. And the world would tell us that if you're feeling any of those ways, then uh, you just need to go get yourself a personal trainer, maybe, or, or hire a life coach, or uh, find a, a good mentor. Uh, maybe, maybe even uh, get yourself a spiritual guru so that you can bring back some sense of satisfaction of living but friends, today I want you to consider specifically from the text that we're going to look at that you are not in need of merely a personal trainer or a life coach, a mentor, or a spiritual guru. You are in need of a shepherd. God tells us that we don't need a trainer's workout plan, a coach's motivation, or, or advice from a guru or a mentor to, to look deep within ourselves to live life to the fullest. fullest. Now, God, in His kindness, beckon, beckons us to come and humble ourselves under primarily the chief shepherd. We don't need to feast on the offerings of this world. We need to feast on Christ we need this chief shepherd, his food and his ways. Friend, I would submit to you that in your pursuit of more, 
in your pursuit of fullness and happiness, blessing and an abundant life, you need nothing less than a humble shepherd that you humbly submit to for your good and the glory of God. Friends, you need humble under-shepherds in your life, under-shepherds of Christ who care for you and lead you as well as we all humble ourselves under God's good design for the church. And we've been going through a series called Expect More. But because we want you to expect more out of what you are doing and participating in and submitting yourselves to as members of a local church. And if you're not a member of a local church, why not? This is God's good design for your life. And you should expect something out of that. And you should specifically expect something out of your leaders. And we at Pillar DC, we want you to expect more out of us as elders and pastors Because we believe and we ask you to believe God's word that your elders and your pastors are God's gift to the church. Often we're tempted to trust ourselves as the best guide for life. Or we believe that our pastors are no different than those mentors and gurus and life coaches that we might hire. Friends, shepherds, pastors, are a gift to the church. They have a responsibility that will require an accounting on the day of judgment. Friend, your physical trainer, your mentor, your life coach, they will not stand before a holy God and give an account of your life on the last day. Your pastor, though, who cares for you and feeds your soul, will speak to the chief shepherd on your behalf on the day of judgment. God has provided you these under shepherds for your good and your flourishing in the world. Ultimately, the chief shepherd, Christ Jesus, is the one that the pastor wants you to trust because Christ provides for you. And he alone can be trusted with all of life's joys and all of life's trials. So, friends, you should expect more from your pastors who lead the church and lead you to feast upon the word of God. And speaking of feasting upon the word, I invite you to turn now to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat backs in front of you, uh, the text can be found on page 955. Also, it will be on the screen. But I encourage you to open your copy of God's Word and follow along as I read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> Peter writes, So... I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, as we come to a time now of studying and looking at your word and the time of preaching and sitting under the proclamation of your word, God, I pray more than anything that people would not merely listen to my words, but people would listen to your word. And everything that I would say would honor you and glorify you and point to your word, God. And we would feast here. We would find our satisfaction here in what you call us to. Oh God, help us. Help uh, those of us who are pastors and elders be good shepherds. Be humble, joyful servants of the church. And God, I pray that you help each of us as members of the church. Submit ourselves to godly, joyful leaders who want to lead us to the greatest place of human flourishing found in Christ Jesus. Oh God, we need your help today. I pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So if you walk away with anything else this morning, I want you to walk away with this, the main point of our time together. God gifts the church with humble leaders for our good and for His glory. God gifts the church with humble leaders for our good and for His glory. And since God has gifted the church with elders, Peter writes here to exhort these elders how they are to care for the people of God. He also exhorts the rest of the members of the church in their relationship with those elders that God has gifted the church with. Elders are to humbly shepherd the people and people are to humble themselves under shepherd leaders. So the first point of our time today will be humbly shepherd elders. And the second point of our time today will be humbly submit to the elders. Humbly shepherd elders, humbly submit to the elders. So let's take the first point. Humbly shepherd Elders, elders humbly shepherd, as we see from the text in verses 1 to 4, in a willing, eager, and exemplary way. So what I want, to see, what I want us to see here from verses 1 to 4 is how Peter defines shepherd leadership. And we want to see what actually drives the heart of the shepherd of God's flock. First, the definition. So what is it that practically a shepherd does? I I mean, does he just sit in his office Monday through Friday reading books and drinking coffee? I confess I do that some. Or are there other things? Is there a ministry that this shepherd has? Well, look back with me at verse 2. It says, shepherd the flock among you, or shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. 
In in verse 2, we see that an elder obediently shepherds, because that word shepherd is actually a command, and he does so by overseeing. Uh, Often, though, in the New Testament, uh, because you you may have read other texts, we see different words like shepherd and elder and overseer used, and sometimes even the word bishop. But they're all described, they're all used to describe the godly, wise, impeccable, Christ-like office of an elder. And the terms are used interchangeably. As seen here in the text, the word oversee is actually used as, as a defining word to what it looks like to shepherd. Therefore, elders or shepherds of Pillar DC, along with many other faithful Christians around the world, believe that when we read these words like shepherd or overseer, elder or bishop, they all are referring to the same office within the church. And we typically, like Chad said earlier, I introduced myself earlier as a pastor, we call these people that fill this office of elder a pastor. And that's simply an English translation of the Latin word that means to feed. Does that idea of feeding sound familiar when we consider our author of this letter? Wasn't it Peter? Upon his threefold restoration of Christ after three times denying Jesus, was told to feed the sheep of Jesus, tend to the sheep of Jesus, and again feed the sheep in John 21? So for the rest of the time together, I'm going to use this word elder and shepherd interchangeably. So oversight. Now, this idea of oversight shows up in many ways as men lead the church. Elders are called by God to care for, to lead, and to navigate for the sheep of God. Most of the time, shepherding the flock entrusted to us is demonstrated when we feed or even protect the flock. The primary way a shepherd feeds is by teaching the word of God. Brothers and sisters, I have nothing better to say to you this morning than to read the text and explain the text to you. And if a pastor gets up and says something different, I would simply ask you to ask yourself, am I really being fed with what God believes I should be fed with? Is this person really caring for my soul if they're not opening the word of God and showing me how to feast upon it. Feeding God's people, God's word, serves the overall spiritual need of both the individual and the church. And as we read God's word, we find that there are lists in God's word of the qualifications of elder. Those lists can be found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and Titus 1, 5 to 9. And there is only one ability in each of those lists that Paul mentions as Timothy and Titus are, go, are to go out and find elders. The only ability that they are to have, along with impeccable character, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is the ability to teach God's word and sound doctrine. All other qualifications for shepherds are character qualities that should be exemplary for all Christians and a reflection of the character of Christ. And since elders are under shepherds to Christ, the chief shepherd, they are to reflect Christ's care 
Christ's compassion, his heart of service. So a pastor faithfully oversees the flock when he teaches God's word to God's people, which gives them care and direction that they desperately need. So this is what it, this is what it means to be a shepherd or an overseer. But what does Peter reveal that drives the shepherd? So we looked at the definition. Now let's look at the drive of a shepherd. What, what motivates? What, what is his heart attitude? Ultimately, the pastor of the church should be driven by a joyful humility. Elders are to be joyful, humble overseers. Look back with me at the end of verse 2. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but as examples. Shepherds oversee with willing, eager, exemplary lives. Note here that Peter provides three examples of what should and shouldn't motivate the elders to exercise oversight. What we need to consider here is what lies behind each of these motivations. What's the heart? What, What really is motivating a willingness? What's motivating an eagerness? What's motivating someone to be an exemplary person to the life of the church? You see... Peter writes these words to these sheep who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, and Bithynia because they were under increasing hostility and persecution. And the gift that God had blessed them with, with faithful elders to the flock, would likely be a blessing to them to keep them from unnecessary harm and under a form of protection and encouragement as they were persecuted for their faith. So shepherds care for and feed the flock willingly as God would have them. But where does a willingness to shepherd sheep really come from? I mean, who in here woke up this morning and said, I want to go take care of a bunch of sheep? None of us. I didn't wake up going... Oh, man, I just, like, can't wait to get dirty and get in there and get with the sheep. But I know this is what God's called me to, and he motivates me to do this. It's why I get up and put my feet on the ground. So naturally, I don't want to, but ultimately, my willingness and any shepherd's willingness comes from a sense of preparedness and security in Christ and Christ alone. Shepherds willingly care and feed for the flock because they want to reflect the heart and genuine love of God for his people. Shepherds care because ultimately they willingly want to bring the heart of God to bear on your life. They care for you and love you that much. And sometimes clarity comes not just by looking by what something is, but also looking at what it's not, because that's what Peter helps us see. 
A, a willing heart is not a heart under compulsion. Elders who shepherd willingly do not do so because they've been compulsed to do so or they're under some kind of compulsory, coerced force that says, well, you ought to go shepherd those sheep, pastor. Shepherds who feed sheep are willing when they do not do so out of a posture of sheer obligation. True, faithful shepherds shepherd because they must. Not, or not because they must, but because they deeply desire to care for the people. And neither does a shepherd merely oversee by the letter of the law. Well, I guess, you know, God says the church needs leaders, so I'll go and be one of the shepherds of the sheep. No. There's a sweet example of, of someone not being under compulsion in my home, my my oldest daughter recently entered into her third year of learning how to write papers. And uh, the, per- the previous two years, it's been a little difficult teaching her how to write, get her ideas down on paper. But, but this year is a little different. Not only does she want to write the paper that she has to write each week, she wants to write extra papers. It's not, we don't have to convince our daughter that writing and getting her ideas down on paper are good for her. She's like looking forward to it. Friends, shepherds who care for the flock of God truly do look forward to sitting down with you and hearing how you're doing. How they can help. How they can share God's word to you to feed you and have you feast upon this good news. They care for you that much, willingly. Also, in verse 3, we see that a shepherd is not, or in the end of verse 2, he's he's not in it for shameful gain, but he does so eagerly. Eager. When an elder is eager, he's enthusiastic and has a desire or a longing to oversee. Eagerness and enthusiasm in overseeing comes from a heart that is content and generous. Content with what God has given us, not complaining about resources or the people that we have, and generous, ready to give our lives for your life. An eager shepherd joyfully desires to teach care, lead, provide, give direction, and feed the sheep. So he gives himself to the sheep as a benefit to them, which in turn delights his soul. Some of the most joyful moments I have as a shepherd is sitting down with some of you, hopefully one day most of you, if not all, sharing God's word with you and seeing how God bears fruit in your life as a Christian and a follower of God. Elders truly gain by eagerly giving themselves away. Eager shepherds, though, are not in a ministry or not in the ministry for greed or dishonest gain. If someone is not enthusiastic and joyful about caring for souls and feeding the flock, then they are doing the work of God 
for impure and vile reasons. Such leaders are not to be are, are not content, but they're joyless. Their oversight would be shameful because they're leading God's people supposedly to green pastures for which they are not to con- content to eat from themselves. Friends, hear that again. Eager shepherds are not people in this for shameful gain who lead you to where you should eat but have no desire to feast there themselves. So on the flip side of that, your shepherds, your elders, your pastors should be men of the book, men of God's word who care for you enough to only point you to here. It doesn't mean that they might not recommend other good and godly resources, but but ultimately everything they want you to feast from is founded upon the word of God because it is the only thing that will satisfy your soul. It is the only thing that will sustain you. Not only are shepherds motivated by a willingness and an eagerness, but we also see in verse 3, they are not domineering over those in their charge, but they are examples to the flock. Recall the list of of qualifications that I mentioned to you earlier. All of the qualifications are character traits except one. So it, it may be from God's word that we see that it's the character of the man that matters as much as it is his ability to teach and preach. These godly Christ-like pastors are to be excellent examples of what it means to be above reproach, a a one-woman man, not arrogant but humble, a faithful leader in his home, holy, obedient to the commands of Christ, hospitable, and so on. As good examples to the members of the church, they humbly serve and are not after a plaque or a bonus or desiring to have a platform. They humbly lead you, being examples in confessing their sin, regularly repenting, and teaching sound doctrine to themselves and to you. They are ready. Your pastors are ready to take the necessary steps, even like forfeiting pay or full-time status as a pastor so that they can remain your shepherds and always lead you to the best place to feed your souls. Because we're not in it for greedy gain. We're eager. We're willing we want to be examples to you. And, and examples or exemplary elders are not domineering. They don't use this God-given position of authority to speak directly into your life from God's word as an opportunity to demonstrate how smart they are, how eloquent they are, or how good at preaching they are. And if you've listened for this long, you've realized that that not much is true about me. But what I want you to see, friends, is I'm not here to lord this over you. I want you to see it from God's word. I want you to submit to God's word, not to me or my position. 
Neither do elders use their authority and position to convince others to get in line with their agendas or do things that are contrary to God's word. Friends, if you are told something by someone who proclaims to be a shepherd of the sheep that is contrary to God's word, run as fast as you can away. And I would even as boldly say, if you hear us saying things from this pulpit that are not in line with God's word, please come to us first before you run, but tell us that we're not doing things that God calls his shepherds to do. And friends, know that authority has not just been given to me and Doug and Chad and other men whom God will gift this church. You have authority as well. You are to guard the doctrine of this church. And so if we're teaching something that is unsound and out of step with God's word, use your authority to come to us. And I don't want you to just see me as an example because, and I've pointed to myself a lot here, but, but look back with me at 1 Peter 5, 1. What, is, what does Peter say? So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter refers to himself in such a way that reflects the characteristics and attitudes that he reveals later in the text. He refers to himself as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, a partaker in glory. He is putting himself forward as a willing, eager example to the elders and to the flock of God. You see, instead of flexing his apostle card, As an act of compulsory domineering leadership, he humbly identifies with the suffering saints and the elders among the flock. I mean, it it could have been really easy for Peter to say, well, I, I guys, am an apostle. Like, I I was hanging out with Jesus for like three years. and, and, And Jesus has told me that this is how I'm supposed to lead and set up the church, so... So, so you guys need to get in line with this way of, of setting up and being the church. But he doesn't. He says, I'm a fellow elder. Not a, not a witness to the amazing and magnificent ministry of Jesus, but a witness to the sufferings of the one who bled and died for him. I, I mean, think about, think about the humility that it took Peter to to admit that, to write that down, to put pen to paper, to say, I was a witness of Christ's sufferings after he had denied him, denied knowing him three times. Peter putting himself forward as a great example. Willing, eager, exemplary oversight and shepherding are characteristics of a leader who joyfully understands his position before God and his gifting as an under-shepherd 
to the great chief shepherd. And not only is Peter an example, but we know that Christ Jesus, the chief shepherd, is our greatest example. He is actually the model of a joyful, humble leader. Uh, Consider these things about Jesus and his joy specifically. Uh, The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12 that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and no less made it possible for our atonement and, and the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus not only was joyful, but he was also willingly obedient to the plan of the Father to crush him, as we're told in Isaiah. And so he humbled himself, coming in the form of a human, subjecting himself to the point and the curse of death, even death on a rugged cross, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. And not only was Jesus joyful, willingly obedient, but he was eager to fulfill the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament like we read earlier in Psalm 23 or heard prayed by Aaron earlier from Ezekiel 34 where God promises to be the shepherd to the people when shepherds mistreat them and they as sheep mistreat one another. Jesus stands over Jerusalem weeping. They are, sheep, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he tell the disciples in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. Jesus is our chief example. With great compassion, he fulfills the role of the shepherd as he proclaims himself to be and is the great shepherd of the lost sheep of Israel. Amen? He is your shepherd, friends. And I only want to shepherd like him. Every pastor who you submit to, you should only hope that they would shepherd like Jesus shepherds. Shepherds who joyfully and humbly oversee will receive what what Peter says, they will receive an unfading crown of glory from the chief shepherd. As will all of you. And when, look at verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you, elders and the congregation he's reading to, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Godly shepherds oversee willingly and eagerly and as examples to the flock. So, How should this really show up? What should we really expect if this is the definition and drive of shepherds? Because we are asking you to expect more out of us. We're God's gift to the church. We we want to be used. We want to put ourselves forward to help love you and care for you. Elders are to be both pastors and preachers. Elders are to be godly, Christ-like men who have both. Listen to me, friends. You should expect both of these things out of us, that we can deeply sympathize and empathize and care for you and who are always standing at the ready to feed you with the everlasting word of God. 
So we should be able to care for your souls and feed your souls at the same time. So we should expect not only that they're able to do those things, but we should also expect out of our leaders that they are humble. And this is likely a word which if anyone uses of themselves, it immediately is turned over. I mean, if I stand before you and say, well, I am a humble leader. I've defeated myself by saying that. So it... uh, This humility that we should expect out of our leaders is often a word that would rarely ever come from their own mouths because I will be honest with you, I know how prideful I am. I know how vile I can be. I know how hurtful my words can be at times. I know myself and my sin. But friends, humility and humbleness should be a word that easily flows from the flock's mouth. We should also expect that our elders are able at times, when necessary, to graciously rebuke us. Friends, sometimes you're going to come to us and tell us what you're up to, and we're going to go, stop it. Don't do that. By the way, if you do that, by God's grace, I think I know where you're going to end up. So please come, feast on his word, trust in God and his ways. Even if you can't see the next step in life by reading and trusting his word, follow Christ before you follow your own ways to destruction. We should also expect that our pastor leaders can hold our hands in times of trouble. Listen to our sufferings and our confessions of sin, in parentheses, not so that I can go to Christ on your behalf but we're to confess our sins to one another as brothers and sisters who fight for one another's holiness. And your pastor should be able to personally encourage you as you walk the narrow path towards heaven. We should be able to warn you that that narrow path comes with steep edges and ditches. And we simply ask that you would listen to God's word. So we should also expect that our leaders can work for us and exhort us patiently. The expectation of under-shepherds is to be no less than them being mighty and refreshing dispensers of the wellspring of God's word who also humbly pastor us, ready to go through the valley of the shadow of death with us, the messiness of our lives and our times of rejoicing. Because not all days are bad in the life of the Christian. We can rejoice together. I want to be happy when you are happy, friend. I want to celebrate when there is time for celebration. And think about this for just a second. Having leaders who are joyfully, humbly serving you as members of the church, who care for you, who nurture you, and help you through life's trials and tribulations, that would be really wonderful. It would be a blessing from the Lord. It would be a gift to you. Do you not want that, friend? And if we truly desire such humble shepherds to care for us, then we should consider how we live lives together with those shepherds. So our second point, We see that 
Shepherds are to humbly care for the souls of the people. But now, how are we to respond to our shepherds? Verse 5 says that we should humbly submit to the elders. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, friends, humble members of churches joyfully submit to humble elders. If we have elders or shepherds motivated to humbly, joyfully lead us, then placing our lives under their care, under their teaching, under their leadership should be a joy for us, not a burden. But we must, though, because you have the responsibility to put elders over you as the church. You have that authority. We have an elder candidate right now. We hopefully will have elder candidates in the future. As we think about texts like 1 Peter 1 to 5, we should also keep a watchful eye out for joyless worldly leaders and ensure that we do not affirm them as under shepherds to the church. It would be a terrible thing to put someone, to affirm someone into the position who doesn't desire to do it willingly, eagerly. And as an example, and it would be a much more difficult thing to humbly submit to that person. Throughout the sermon, I've referred to you as the people of God, as sheep. And let's be honest, this is not the most flattering description. I get it. I, too, am a sheep. But it's accurate. You see, the Bible often refers to God's people as sheep because we're messy and smelly. Sheep are filled with a desire to wonder where they're wonder with their heads down, following their noses wherever it might lead, even if it's off a cliff or into a briar patch that will ensnare them or into the mouths of a waiting wolf. Sheep have little awareness of their surroundings. They're timid animals. But we, friends, we're not merely animals, are we? But we have all sorts of brokenness, waste, trouble, and we can get ourselves into some difficult and sticky situations, can't we? We are plagued with a desire to stray. And friends, you and I lack the humility to turn back and are often consumed with pride, believing that we know best for the way forward in our life. We believe ourselves to be the best navigator, the best nurturer, and the best leader needed for our life. We, like Adam and Eve and Israel and so many before us, believe we know best when it comes to flourishing in this world. Texts like Isaiah 53, 6 ring out in my ears when I think about this. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
I would encourage you this week to read Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, This is a stern warning about the failing of the shepherds of Israel to lead and feed the sheep of God. And if you read it closely, you will learn a good deal about the situation and circumstances of the sheep. Not only were they not led well and fed well, but they were sick. They were injured. They were weak, strayed, lost, scattered. And they were, din- they were on the dinner menu for the beasts of the field. And then late in Ezekiel 34, not only is it the fact that the leaders of Israel are doing a bad job, but even the sheep among one another are mistreating one another and have lost their way. They, they, they've, they've, uh, they've come to be a detriment to one, one another. They were, they were not good at standing up for themselves. Because what we find out is that there's some fat sheep and there's some skinny sheep. The fat sheep are going around eating up all the good food in the field and leaving nothing for the other sheep to eat. And they were also prone, the, the sheep of Israel, not, not us, that they were prone to let others that might look like them and smell like them in but ended up actually being hurtful and harmful to them, like goats and rams who would hurt and harm the sheep. And God had to step in. So read Ezekiel 34. The sheep are not in a good way. So it's no wonder that we need gifted men to pastor and preach for us. And God in his kindness and wisdom has given us both under shepherds and the chief shepherd for his good and his glory. God in his kindness and Jesus in his joyful, humble service to us have provided for our need of a true, humble, joyful shepherd to save us from this rebellion and sheepishness. To, to save us from our self-absorption and our lack of oversight in our life. You see, Jesus has come, friends, to lead us by serving us even to the point of laying down his life for the sheep. Jesus came and lived and died so that he could rescue us from our greatest enemies. Namely, friends, Jesus comes to rescue from your, you from yourself. Our pride and arrogance blind us to our desperate need for him. Look to him, not not to yourself, excuse me. He can rescue you not only from yourself, but also from what ensnares you. Are you ensnared? Does your flesh desire to be pleased at every turn? Do you want what you should not want? You look to have your longings filled by the things that will never satisfy You aim to please yourself with food, with sex, with money, with thoughtless leisure, and even hard, determined work. Friends, stop delighting in the broken things of this world. Delight yourself in Jesus. Friends, He can rescue you, not only from yourself, not only from what ensnares you, but he can rescue you from what 100 out of 100 people will suffer from. Death. 
We will all die, friends. But Christ has come to give us life and life eternally with Him. Humbly come to Jesus expecting Him to provide for you forgiveness, salvation, rescue, and an eternity that is a true and everlasting blessing. Will you come to Him? Because today can be the day of salvation. Expect that your pastors of this church want you to see want to see you following Jesus. We are here to talk with you. Will you humble yourself under God's chief shepherd and allow the under shepherds to care for you as a new follower of Jesus Christ? And humility, friends, is not merely to be for the new follower or the one turning first from their sin. Humility is to be the mindset of all believers. Look, with, look back with me at the text. What does Peter say? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes a proud person, but he gives grace to those who humble themselves under his leadership. Remember even what Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 to, 2 to 5. Complete my joy, as Paul writes, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility is to be our mindset. Humility is to be the heartbeat of those of us who follow Jesus. Humility always should be our controlling impulse. We are to humble ourselves toward one another and we're to do or we're to outdo one another in showing honor. And, and con- I want to consider, for, you, for those of you who are members of the ch- church, remember a promise that we've made to one another. Seek God's help in abstaining from all food, drugs, drink, practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own or another's faith. That is a position and a promise of being humble towards one another. And humility should not only characterize, should not only be a characteristic that describes our elders, it should govern how we live as God's chosen people. If we are truly humble, we're not going to have a false humility that tells everything, tells everybody that everything's just okay. Is it really okay? Do you, do you need to sit down with a shepherd and talk about life right now? It's okay to be humble and admit so. And if we're truly humble, then we're going to submit to the care of our leaders for the good of our souls and the glory of God. 
I don't want to care for you just because it's going to make me feel good. I want to care for you because I want you to be more like Jesus. I want to care for you because I want your soul to be fed. I want to care for you. Your pastors want to care for you because we want to see you becoming more like Jesus. And I will tell you, friends, in doing this for as long as I've done it as a pastor, one of the most joyful things in ministry is to see people maturing from one degree of glory to another as they trust God's word and God's ways. And it's for our goods. Consider what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen: Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account... Let them do this with joy, not groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Humbly submitting your lives to the shepherds of the church, friends, is an advantage to you. It is truly good for you to submit and allow your elders to care for your soul, to love you, and to stir you up for good works. Note also that by submitting to the pastors God blesses you with as a member of the church, you're aiding in the responsibility that they have to give an account. I mean, friends, think about how sad it would be for you to be sitting there all the days of your life in the pew on Sunday mornings, never actually submitting yourself to the care and love and nurture of the elders. And the elder has to stand before the Lord one day. And say, well, I didn't really know so-and-so. I I really can't speak on their behalf. I know they showed up on Sunday mornings. I I know they gave every once in a while. But when I would go to them with the word of God or when they would come to me to seek advice, they always went their own way. They always fought against the ways of God and the words of God. So just as submitting to the elders is good for you and your soul now, it's also good for your soul on the day of judgment. And it's good for the shepherd who has to give an account. So what should we expect as we humbly submit ourselves to elders and shepherds of the sheep? Well, friends, I would encourage you, if you find yourself ensnared, if you find yourself in duress, if you find yourself at a point of no return, your shepherds are here for you. We will come to you. Call, text, email, send a note, buy a pigeon, for God's sake. But let us know. And we will come to you. We should not be the last resort after your spiritual guru's words have failed you, after your mentor's advice is only taking you so far, and you're at the very end of your rope, nearly at the edge of the prepices of disaster, and you go, oh, well, maybe now I should go see my pastor. No, come to us. We will gladly receive you at that point. But friends, at the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of duress, 
We want to be with you. We want to care for you. How far have you wandered, friend? Are you sitting here thinking that there is, you're at a point of no return? Don't believe the enticing lies of the evil one who seeks your destruction. Come and meet with us. Share with us. Let us come to you. We will gladly come. We would love to see you and walk with you towards healing and holiness. And friends, I also want you to know and expect out of your shepherds that we just don't do this job on Sundays. Yes, we're here every Sunday, in, every Sunday, in and out of the year. But there are six other days of the week that we are available to you. Monday is going to crash and burn hard at 4 o'clock. I've been there, I know. Call. Things are going to get difficult on Wednesday. Call. Our Sunday gatherings are a great time. As we heard earlier in our, in, our, or in our series of Expect More, they're a great time for us to get to know each other and for us to shepherd you in certain ways. But we want, to know, we want you to know that we are available other days of the week. We want you to know that we have regular office hours are available to you most times every other day of the week. And I would say nearly every other hour of the week. Mishaps, sins that ensnare us often don't happen in the nine to five. They happen in the middle of the night. Deaths of loved ones, calls that shock us, don't come because we've neatly scheduled them into our calendar. Friends, we're available to you whenever things happen in your life. Each of us are willing and ready to come to you in your times of need. And I'm not sure about you, but sometimes it's not until Wednesday or Thursday that the Holy Spirit illuminates my deep need of what was exposed to me and preached from God's word on Sunday. Don't hesitate to call if you find yourself in need throughout the week. We stand at the ready for you to care for you as your sheep. And friends, I would also encourage you that sometimes we don't wait for you to call us. We actually reach out to you. We send you an email. We send you a text. We ask you how things are going. And we simply ask you not in, that, in our reply. We're not expecting a reply always to go, well, everything's okay, Pastor. Friends, we know that everything's not okay all the time. I'm not, telling me, I'm not telling you that every time I text you or ask you or email you about what's going on in life that you bring some crazy thing out into the light, which is okay if you do. But know that you get those texts and calls and emails out of a posture of care, out of a posture of love. Do, do you know, friends, that those of you who are members of our church, that every elders meeting we pray through 10 of the members each time in alphabetical order? So when we reach out to you, either afterwards saying we've prayed for you, know that we really did that. Or if we reach out to you before and say, hey, 
What, what can I pray for you about? Know that your elders are going to sit down and make time to pray for you and care for you and think through what you're going through so that we can point you to God's word. We don't want you to put on face and pretend that everything's okay. We want you to expect out of us that we're prepared for you to live in the light, no matter how dark you think whatever you're going to say really is. The best place for you, friend, is to live in the light with your shepherds who care for you and love you. Friends, humbly submit to the gifts that God has given to the church as they humbly serve you and love you and care for you. Peter wrote to to the dispersed church to encourage and equip them with the difficulties that were all around them. Peter knew that the church was blessed with elders. God had designed the church that way. He had gifted the church with shepherds, caring for, feeding, and tending to his people. Elders are to humbly shepherd those in their flocks. The other members of the church are to humbly submit to the elders. Our expectation of these elders should be high. It should be much. And they are to be joyful leaders who come to our aid, feed us with the word, and reflect the character of Christ. God has blessed the church. He has blessed you, friends, with faithful men for your good and for his glory. I'm going to pray and the worship team's going to come up and lead us in our final song. Oh God, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for this call to humility, both as leaders and as sheep, Father. And God, we are so great, grateful that in your kindness that you have provided for us in Christ Jesus the great shepherd that we all desperately need. God, I pray that we would expect much out of those men who you gift this church, that they would be faithful, wonderful examples to the flock, that they would be godly lovers of our soul, and that we would submit ourselves to their care and love Oh God, we need your help. I pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.